This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Back then, especially in the early 80s, it was a new thing to be telling how much money you had. You would brag about how many women you had. I mean, you were really groundbreaking doing that, right? Where did that come from? The night before. <laughs> if I said it on TV, I did it. I lived my gimmick. All right, uh, Judd, uh, we both enjoyed the ESPN 30 for 30 documentary about the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. At the end of our show yesterday, uh, longtime AWA star, two-time AWA TV champ, two-time AWA tag team champ, and uh, and a guy who goes way back with Ric Flair, Greg Ganyu, called into the show. uh, And we ran out of time yesterday, Greg, because we were up against Garage Logic at 1 o'clock there. And so we thank you for uh, coming back on today. Well, thanks for having me on. Uh, you know, Rick, uh, it was a great piece that uh, ESPN and Ray Karf uh, put out on Rick. And what you saw and what you heard, um, you know, I can, I grew up with Rick. And uh, our family it was traveled with Rick and his, his family. So my daughter, Gail, after watching uh, the premiere at, down in uh, St. Louis Park, she came out of there and she said, you know, Dad, if, Rick wouldn't have been so honest and open. This thing wouldn't have worked, but he really opened up and he he told it the way it was. Yeah, when did and he really did? What, what, when did you notice? You know, because he got into a plane crash in the in the seventies, and and mm-hmm. that sort of gave him a chance because he lost a bunch of weight, gave him a chance to to uh, to come up with what we now know as the Nature Boy uh, persona. What was that transition like from when he was just like Richard Fleer, and what did you notice for him becoming this big megastar who essentially changed his personality? Well, my my father's the one that well, it saw it in him, and you know we talked about it. You saw it in the episode in the uh, in the uh, thirty for thirty where Rick actually quit, and uh, we never told Vern this, but uh, we had convinced Rick that at the end of the camp when we finally graduated, you know we we trained in this old barn and we were on the second floor and there was no windows. Uh, we trained up and through Jan- the middle of January, you know, and be freezing our butts off in there. And we had Flair convinced that this little window up on the second floor, we had to dive out of it and land as flat as we could on both the manure and the, and the frozen dirt down there. And he was scared to death that that's the only way he would graduate. And that was one of the reasons he, he quit. But we didn't tell Vern that because he'd have, <laughs> he'd have, he'd have kicked all our butts. So, so that was the why he didn't show up that one day. But... Uh, uh, I think we all saw it in Rick, and uh, Vern saw it in the the six of us that made it through the camp. That we all had something that would, you know, 
really project well in the ring and with the fans. And Rick, even back in college, I mean, he he was, you know, the, he was really the nature boy then, but he didn't really know it. Um, I mean, everything he did then, he also did in professional wrestling. He never really changed much. Tell us more about the camp, Greg. I mean, just uh, uh-huh. what what was your dad looking for in people? Because, I, I mean, there, there, there's part athlete here. There's part entertainer. There, there's lots of things. Just that camp, because they, they touched on it uh, during the uh, the flare piece, but I felt like there was a lot more there that, that was uh, intriguing, to say the least. Well, Vern, over the years, he, he uh, we actually lived in a trailer in 1949. He wrestled in Minneapolis. They told him he was too small, sent him to Norman, Oklahoma, where my mom, dad, and I lived in a trailer and traveled to Oklahoma, Texas, and, Lu- and Louisiana. And Vern won the junior heavyweight, uh, light heavyweight title when he was in Oklahoma. They told him he was too small to wrestle in Minneapolis. 1950, then he got a call from Fred Kohler in Chicago that they were going on network TV, and they needed someone with his background. He was NCAA champion a couple times, Big Ten champion four times, wrestled on the Olympic team. So they wanted that, you know, that image. So Vern gets to Chicago. And they said, uh, Vern, here's what we're going to do with you tonight. This is our first shot at network TV. We're going to dress you up as a Martian and lower you from the ceiling. <laughs> and he said, well, that, he said, the hell you are. He said, you've got 30 wrestlers here. I've got my boots and my tights. And I'm the, I gave him all his credentials. She said, I'm going down to the ring. You can send them in one at a time, two at a time. I don't care. And if I can't beat all of them, I'll quit. <laughs> and nobody would get in the ring with them. So... Shortly after that, he got on, the TV started, and he became like the Hulk Hogan of that era. And the first time he realized TV, what it, what magnitude it had with the with the public, was him and Pat O'Connor were sent to Buffalo, New York, to wrestle a match. They got in at the airport. Um, they couldn't get to the to the arena. There was so much traffic, and they said, "Oh man, this is going to kill our gate. What's going on here tonight?" They found out it was for the wrestling. It was sold out, and they turned about 20,000 people away. So Vern then realized how strong TV was and that they needed to change the image of wrestling. They needed more athletes in it. So he wanted athletes that had athletic backgrounds, that uh, were athletic, good, pretty good bodies, and uh, he trained 144 wrestlers over the years. Yeah. And out of that, probably 140 all were main event wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah. But he had that vision. So when he saw guys like Rick and uh, Ken Patera and Jim and myself and the Iron Sheik, he knew that we had something there that would spark the public to have the interest to come and watch us. Uh, Ma- Mackie and, and Judd. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there, Greg. No, uh, I was okay. just going to reintroduce you. Greg Ganyu uh, is our guest here. We're talking Ric Flair stories off the 30 for 30 from... From the other night, and now Rick Rick broke away from the AWA in the mid '70s, and then you know went on to Jim Crockett Promotions and NWA World Championship Wrestling. But so I'm not uh, apologies for my my gap in uh, in the timeline. No, okay, but I'm wondering about Rick Flair in the ring, and even just stories you've heard about these 60 minute matches and uh, and the way that he would call matches. What can you what can you tell us about his style in the ring? Well, it was, uh, we were all trained from Vern, so, you know, we, it was kind of second nature to all of us. Uh, you know, we were six hours a day, six days a week in the ring. And, I mean, 
the first hour was calisthenics. The the second one was learning how to protect yourself with falls. The third hour was holds and counter holds. And the fourth hour was uh, submission wrestling. Then we had an hour of hitting the ropes, learning how to hitting them. And Rick got knocked out there, and she got knocked out hitting the ropes and tearing all the skin off our body. But from all the repetition, it's just like any sport or anything you do well, you have to do over and over and over again. And pretty soon, it's just second nature when you get in the ring. And uh, we all wrestled our matches, Rick more than anybody. Uh, he was the champion of the NWA, and he'd have to, you know, he'd wrestle 360 days a year, and sometimes he'd have to do double shots on Saturday and Sunday. Whereas at the AWA, we only went out for about 270 matches. But uh, Rick was actually sent, we were all sent out of the camp after we, were trained to go to different areas to, to learn it. Jim went to Kansas City. Um, Iron Sheik went down to Florida. Bob Ruggers went to Florida. And he sent Rick to North Carolina. And Rick was supposed to go there for two years and then come back to the AWA. Well, he got so successful down with the Crockett organization that uh, they wouldn't let him go. And uh, they saw the NWA, saw the talent he had, and he became the champion. And, you know, you had to. The one thing you had to do was learn to adapt to all your different, the different personalities that you were wrestling. Everybody wrestled different, and Rick was excellent at that. Uh, you know, being able to wrestle any style and with anybody, and uh, then with all the charisma he had, and his work ethic in the ring, uh, he became a success, a huge success. Mm. I don't know if that answered your question or not. If I. <laughs> Yes, yes, absolutely. Greg, give me the uh, give me the craziest uh, fit for air flare story that that you saw that that you can tell us. Oh, God, the craziest one. Oh, Jesus! You know, I, I told a couple to Rory, but they didn't put them on. Thank God. <laughs> uh, okay, go ahead. <laughs> no, I I don't know if it can. I, I, uh, if you if you uh, if you can avoid the main swear words and uh, tap dance around yeah. the uh, the graphic stuff, we'll you take the we'll take the story. Set the scene. Oh, I know you guys want a story bad. I'm just trying to think of one I can tell here that I'm not going to get uh, get in trouble with. Uh, oh, geez. Well, okay, we're in we're in St. Louis one night, um, and Rick Rick uh, was huge in St. Louis, and Jim and I were pretty well established there. And, uh, we, after the matches, we were staying at the Marriott Hotel, and it was Billy Francis, Russ's brother, Rick, and myself. And they were serving drinks in mason jars that night. <laughs> and the three of us were at this table, and Rick always ordered. He wouldn't order one. He'd order three or four at a time for everybody. So we're pounding them down, and there's a table next to us. got four young ladies on it, and we start talking to them, and they are uh, wives of the St. Louis Blues hockey team. Wow. Oh, no. <laughs> Should I stop? <laughs> no, keep going so far. You're well, fine. Yeah. <laughs> I hope my wife doesn't have the room. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, the bar the bar closed down about two o'clock, and Rick had a suite, so he told the bartender to send down I don't know, probably twenty twenty more of these mason jars full of booze. So we go down and. And we're just we're we're just talking and having fun and and drinking and we're talking about you know stories on the road and the girls their husbands are away from road now how hard it is on the families and, you know we're that's the way we're communicating. 
where Rick disappears and he goes into the bathroom. And he comes out and he's got his robe on. And every time he came out, it was, whoa, it's showtime, ladies, it's showtime. And he'd open up the he opened up the robe and there was nothing underneath. Of course. Except, <laughs> except the erection that he was so proud of all the time. <laughs> that seems like a tra- it's become a trademark move for him over the years. Oh God. Well two of the girls ran out of the room. <laughs> and the other ones just kinda laughed and then the, the party just kinda continued. I suppose for him if there's if it's an odds game, right? If there's five at the table and and only one doesn't freak out, then you know, whatever, he wins. <laughs> Well, you know, God. I mean, Rick. Rick had he had a bill with the Crockett family for three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. What he would do after a match in Charlotte, uh, he would rent their jet plane from them, and he'd take five or six girls, and he'd fly to Vegas, and they would party all the way to Vegas. He had a hotel room. He had all five of them in the room with him, drink and party all night, fly back, and then go on to the next town and do the same thing the next night. Yeah. Yeah, he was, in his constitution, I mean, I heard you guys say nobody could drink like that. He did it every single day. So 10 beers, 10 beers, and like five mixed drinks per day for 17 years, I think he said? Well, even, well, that was years. that was, that was was between 72 and 89. Yeah. And it ain't yeah. like he stopped drinking in the 90s, right, Greg? No, well, I was down in St. Louis with him about three months ago for a WWE uh, pay-per-view. So he, came, he got in there at 5 o'clock, and he said, come on, let's go down to the... We were staying at the Hyatt. He said, "Let's go down to the uh, let's go down to the bar." Ruth Christie had a bar there in the in the steakhouse combined. So people at the bar all recognize us, and we're kind of signing autographs. He orders drinks for everybody at the bar. He buys everybody at the bar dinner, and he ordered three drinks for himself. And there was always three drinks in front of him. And we went till the place closed at two in the morning. And I haven't done that in a long time. And I was the next day. Jesus. Rick, and he's up late. Let's go. Come on, baby. Woo, we got to get out and get going. <laughs> so we go over to the, the event, and we get out of there. Once the match through, he says, come on, let's go back to the bar. And he brought um, two of the girls from the WWE, Renee, blonde announcer. Yeah, Renee new- Young. Yeah. Yeah. Her, who she's married, and this young gal who just came, they hired from Miami, a young, uh, she did the uh, newscast in Miami, and now she's working for the WWE. It's her first first night there. So we go to the, he takes us to the bar, and Larry Henning and Baron Von Raschke are there, and he's buying, Larry and his wife, drinks for everybody. And uh, pretty soon they all, they all left, about 10.30, 11 o'clock, and uh, I talked to two people at the end of the bar. I couldn't, couldn't stand listening to Rick anymore with these two gals. <laughs> <laughs> he's talking about himself and how proud he is of his uh, instrument, let's call it. <laughs> and uh, woo! woo is right. Pretty soon <laughs> I come back and he's got it out of his pants. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Showing the gals <laughs> what he's so proud of. <laughs> oh, and, so we closed that bar down at 2 o'clock, and he says, come on, there's an after-hours joint. Let's go. And I got to get up at 4.15 to catch a flight. Well, thank God we got over the two girls, and the two of us got over to the bar, and the guys were just closing it. But he got a couple beers out of them for us, and back to the hotel we went. 
I went to my room, and he went to his. And what happened after that in his room, I don't know. Who knows? How and is he still stay. alive? Nobody needs to know how, what happened. How Nobody. is this man still still alive? <laughs> well, the question, he, had a, he had a close call there. I know he did about in August. two months ago. But uh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Well, Greg, let's. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, go ahead. We have like a minute left here, Greg. Oh, that's okay. He's just you know he was. Uh, what you saw in Ric Flair, the Nature Boy, you know, he said how he developed it. That was him in college, and that was him his whole life. I mean, that's the way he was, and uh, no different. Uh, great personality. You know, I just think he didn't get enough love at home, and he needed attention all the time, and and that was the way he got it. Yeah. That's awesome stuff. Super guy, though. Just a super guy. Well, we'd hey, love to have you on again sometime, uh, I don't know, in the coming weeks. And I'm sure we could – we, there's so many stories we could get into from even non-Ric okay. Flair stories. So yeah. I know, but i got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, well, we can pre-record and censor as needed. So. Yeah. There we go. That's the way to do it. All right, Greg. Well, great guys, stuff, thanks man. Thanks for having me Thank on. You. Okay, you guys have a wonderful show. Thank you so much. I always listen to it. Yep. Appreciate it. Take That's, care uh, and have a good day.